Welcome to another edition of the NPL Sunday Show. It's Scott and Adam with you once again to recap another weekend in NPL Queensland. Adam, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm good. It's been another great weekend, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, look, it's uh, we're getting we're edging close to the finals, and we're really starting to see some um, movement, I guess, from the at the top and uh, in the case of the NPL as well as the bottom. So, look, it's 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 moving time across the sort of leagues at the moment, and um, there's some crucial results that have come through, and there will be in the next few weeks. Before we get into those individual results, what would you say has been the standout for you this weekend? Either player or team or what What else? Oh, look, I think, uh, to be honest, I think Friday night, um, I know we're going to talk about it at the top of the show, uh, but yeah, look, that was a statement and a half. I think that I think the league should be, in the NPL, they should be very, very wary about, about that result because that one was a statement. It most certainly was. It was a fantastic place to be there watching that game on Friday night between Olympic FC and Peninsula Player up there at AJ Kelly Park in Redcliffe. And you're right, we will start with that game. It was a 3-1 win for Olympic FC. Two goals for Daniel Leck, one for Jez Lofthouse. The second half goal from Andy Pengelly for the home side. But Olympic FC, Adam, they were, particularly in the first half, they were really dominant. It was a pleasure to watch them play because the, the, the things you don't necessarily see on a stream or on television that you can see in person were really evident. The interchanging of position, the ball movement, the playing in between the thirds, it was really, really good stuff from Olympic on Friday night. Yeah, look, I, I've been stuck watching a stream, um, so I, I wouldn't have had the insight from what you from you did from um, our, our usual position up at AJ Kelly Park. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, Olympic, it's almost like the pennies now dropped that, you know, uh, they they've got some reinforcements in um in in the form of uh, Ajahn Fedahajic and Tusku uh, Sakir amongst others. Corey Sewell's another one, and we we saw there was a slowish sort of you know build you know from coming out of uh, lockdown as well. But I think it, it's well and truly they, this team has gelled. I think Ben Khan's got a clear direction on who his best eleven are. You know the depth of the side, and it was on for show against you know who are a title sort of uh, rival in in potential power on Friday night. We'll hear from a very happy Ben Khan shortly, but first we'll talk about the three players you mentioned, the three players they brought back from Victoria over lockdown. Oh, they brought Tasuya Sakia. He was playing down in Victoria previously, but they brought back Corey Sill and Adjun Fedahadjic. And those three players, you could see the real impact that they had. The two two guys at the back, they did really solidify that back line down there on the left-hand side, playing, I believe they played left centre-back and left-back respectively. And Sakia, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep butchering his first name. I'm going to call him Sakia. He was an he was amazing on Friday night. He's just he's just his positional awareness and his experience and his just leadership of that side was unbelievable. His movement off the ball was outstanding, but he was also like pointing of where the where he needed teammates to go. He's he's had a massive impact at him in such a short period of time. Yeah, no, Tusky Sakir, he he's an amazing player. I think he he's probably for mine, he's probably the most talented player in this league at the moment. Um and, and yeah, look, he's just doing things that other players, you know, for you know, for, for not lack of sort of still trying, he's just doing what other players, you know, very rarely do at a consistent level in this league. Um, and it's it's amazing that you know we that when we think about Olympic, we're talking about a Sakia, whereas you know in the past it's been you know the Jez Lofthouse show or you know Alex Smith and Chris Lucas you know, last season as well. But um, he's like I said, and he he was you know obviously. Uh, garnering a lot of attention from the um, Peninsula Power yeah, defence, who are a, usually a very solid unit, but he had them befuddled almost. He most certainly did. Tasuka Sakia, there, I said it once, yeah. that's, that's it. We've, we know we can say it. Now, he was fantastic, but he wasn't the only one on Friday night, Adam, in that front. Third. Jez Loftus had one of his better games for a lot, very long time out there on the left-hand side. 
back to his absolute best. And Oled Yinka Kahinde as well, playing more on the, off the right-hand side now. But again, it just, the pieces seem to fit a lot better. Yeah, that, and that was sort of thing where, you know, earlier, earlier you know, in this, I guess, the section of the season, since it come back from the shutdown, um, like I said, Olympic for a while there early on, they seemed to be spluttering. They seemed to sort of, you know, they were sort of struggling in part to put it all together. You know, Friday night was an example of what happens when they do. And, um, yeah, look, and you're right. You know, Jez Lofthouse, he scored, he scored a goal in injury time where, you know, pretty much where uh, Powell were committed going forward. But the way he took it, you know, obviously, it was just it was just typical Jez Lofthouse that we know. And the finish actually was, you know, quite a good finish. So it's good to see him back as well. And, look, I think uh, also as well, as you said, Frederick uh, Yinka Kahinde, look, he's, he's also as well. I think, you know, from he, he was struggling, you know, to find you know, find his way, you know, sort of, especially early on with prior shutdown, you know, thinking, you know, is this the guy to replace, you know, Chris Lucas at front? He's sort of struggling to find his, his path. You know, now he, he's flying at the moment. He absolutely is. And we'll, we'll hear now from a very happy Olympic FC coach. We're joined by the coach of Olympic Ben Carr. Ben, to talk to us once again. Yeah, pleasure to see you. Absolutely. Now, 3-1 win here for your side side. It was really tough in that first 15, 20 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, look, we were, we were really good. Um, we, we planned really well. We spoke before the game. We knew, we knew that we could dominate the game. Uh, two early goals were good. The performance was great. Uh, you know, it would have been nice to have put them away by halftime. Second half, um, you know, they load, they load the top line and load, load the runners off the, off the strikers. And uh, it's really hard to control the game when any team plays like that. So we, we knew that, that if we didn't finish it off early, it would become a scrap and they'd go long balls and bring Marik on. And um, other than the goal, I thought we dealt with it really well. And I don't think they created much aside from the goal. So I'm really happy with how, how, we, uh, how we saw the game out in the end. Absolutely. You mentioned the performance. Is that the most pleasing thing for you, the way you saw out the game at the moment? The first half was dominant. The second half, you just did what you needed to do. Yeah, I think we showed two two really good sides to us. I think the first half we showed what we can do, um, you know, on a nice pitch, and it is the best pitch in the league that we've played on. It's fantastic. And, um, yeah, we you know we showed we showed that side to our game. It was really fluid. We controlled possession and created some really good chances. And second half, when when they when they went very direct and, and like I said, loaded the top line, um, it was. Yeah, it's always a question mark of, of Olympic in recent years of can we see those types of games out? And, but we know, you know, we know that post COVID we've, we've had three or four of those and we've dealt with them really well. So it's pleasing going forward. You mentioned post COVID. This is James. Both James have just talked to you since the shutdown. How, how do you assess the way your side's going? Because from afar, it looks like things are really starting to click nicely. Yeah, it's amazing what um, what hardship can do. You know, we, we had the had the discussion. Uh, when we came back and I had to tell the players that the money was gone and that they, uh, you know, I, I expected them all to turn around and say they were leaving and taking up other offers. But they said, you know, they said, we're in, we'll stay. And um, and sometimes when you've got the right people for the right reasons and, and everybody's on the same page and, and enjoying what they do, special things can happen. So Not only have you retained Jory, so he's more than three players on Victoria Corps, still Agent Peter Hodgson, Takuya Sakia. They've made a massive impact, haven't they? Massive, massive, yeah. You know, we knew, we knew that the... Uh, um, uh, Victorian MPL closing down was gonna. We knew, you know, we knew there'd be a, a big market with the Queensland clubs, and we knew there'd be a lot of players coming in and out. And we had to get it right. And I think that some clubs have probably rushed into things, but we um, we we did. You know, we worked really hard and, and got, the, like I said, the people that are here for the right reasons. They understand the club's financial position, and uh, they're they're really happy to dig in and play for us and, and, and buy him. Top of the table now as well after tonight. Like you got Morton back home on Wednesday. They've going pretty well now. What are your thoughts on that matchup? 
Yeah, look, the, the, it, well, firstly, in regards to the league table, um, it's still a bit false because Power and Knights have still got the two games in hand, so we, we try not to look at that. We just try to take every game as it comes and win. Um, and, and Morton Bay have, uh, have done really well in recent weeks, and they've got some really good players, good squad. Uh, you know, we know we know that they're going to be difficult to play against. They've taken points off some good teams, so we just um, we just prepare as we would any other week and go, go away and work hard and uh, try to get three points. Well, if we get a performance like this tonight, I'm sure you'll have no problem. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Dr. Ben had himself Friday night, Adam, and he was obviously extremely happy after that result and performance up there on Friday night. One coach I imagine who wasn't quite happy was the coach of Peninsula Power, Aaron Phillip, and his assistant, Ben Ryan. It just, particularly in the first half, it just didn't quite click for them, did it? Yeah, it didn't. Um, look, I think in large part, you know, because that's the way that, you know, Olympic bossed the game. But look, it, it would not sit well uh, for, you know, Aaron Phillip or Ben Ryan that, you know, they, they've, they've actually been outplayed on their own patch. And, you know, they're, they're a proud club. And very, very rarely do you see that where a club will come up to, come up to Redcliffe and outplay them. And I think that really with a sore point. I don't think, look, I don't think Peninsula were that bad. I just think Olympic, it, they, were, they were that good on Friday night. So uh, I wouldn't lose too much hope, but I think from when you, but also when you're looking at a final sort of perspective, um, yeah, if Olympic show up again, you know, come final time like that, they're going to be very, very hard to stop. I think that that might be, that extends to Gold Coast Knights and Lions as well. We mentioned Gold Coast, they do play there, Montez, a chance to rebound. We'll talk about that shortly, but I think you're right about Peninsula Power as well. It it, it didn't look great in the first 30 to 35 minutes, but once I got a grip of what Olympic were trying to do, and they started to combat it quite well, and I thought, particularly in the second half, they did start to create more chances. Okay, it was 2-0, and they were pushing bodies forward, chasing the goals, but then they got one eventually, and Marek Madley, Adam, when he came on, made a massive impact, and maybe they need to look at that front pairing of Marek Madley and Andy Pengilly and maybe think, we might, have, we might need to play two up front to accommodate both of them because the combination between the two of them when they were both on the field was quite good. Yeah, look, and I think uh, conventional thinking sort of suggests that you know, maybe um, you can't you can't have one, of the, one, you know, can't have them both play, so at least starting anyway. But I think you might have to actually start thinking about that. I think, you know, we know, we know what Mark Madley's capable of. Morley has, hasn't shown that probably in you know, the last season and a half, you know, from the heights of the Golden Boot winner in 2018. Um, he still does offer, and you did see signs in that second half, you know, him sort of you know, using that power game, you know, to sort of really sort of you know, push back, you know, against what is a very, very competent um, Olympic um, defensive line. You now, we've, we've talked about Fedahajic, you know, we've talked about... Um, We've talked about Sewell, but also as well, Danny Driver and Kazito on the other side. Look, that's a very, very good backline. They, they were starting to make inroads. So maybe they need to sort of consider how they get them fit, you know, Marek Madley and um, Andy Pangeli, you know, in the same squad, in the same sort of starting side, I should say. Absolutely. We know they've had a couple of injury issues up there with those two strikers, but they're just coming back now to full fitness. But maybe that 4-3-3, which, which has served them so well over the last couple of years, maybe they might need to... To just rejig that slightly for this year, just to accommodate the talent that they have at their disposal. We'll move on now, Adam, to a couple of games on Sunday, Saturday. The first game of that Brisbane Raw one, Eastern Suburbs one. We were covering this briefly remotely. remotely. Any thoughts on this? A one-one draw between Raw and Eastern Suburbs. Golf, golf for the Raw, Kai Tapaldo, Anthony Poliak for East. It was a pretty tight contest, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, it was. Um, it was. It was a little bordering on almost a stalemate um, until sort of East and the twenty minutes to go. They had a goal disallowed. Uh, for contact on uh, Jackson Riley in the 
in the uh, raw goal. Uh, eventually, uh, Poliak scored, and then you know, pretty much two minutes later, Kaitapaldo popped up and uh, scored the equaliser. So, look, it was an improved performance. I know we've been very critical of um, young Raw's performances. You know, they've stopped you know, a three-game losing streak. And, um, and yeah, look, I thought it was a much better performance. I think it was more defensively sort of minor as far as, you know, rather than trying to you know, attack, attack, attack. They, uh, but also East as well. I thought they, they, were, they were good for, you know, good for a point at least. So I think uh, both teams will be pretty you know, satisfied going away from that other than, you know, missing out on two points. I tend to agree with that, particularly about the Raw youth. We've seen the last couple of weeks they have shipped a fair number of goals defensively. They've changed things around a bit, brought in a couple of, Younger players, good high performers in their under-18 side, so they've come up to the top team now. They seem to be slotting in quite nicely, and I think you're right. Defensively, they were a lot better. The other results this week, Adam, Adam. Gold Coast Knights 3, Redlands United 2, Sunset Coast Wanderers 2, Kapalabar 0, Lions SC 6, Gold Coast United 2, and Brisbane Strikers, a last gasp winner at Morton Bay by two goals to one, and what was another really high, tense game, wasn't it? Oh, not, t- t- not tense, but it was certainly tight. Ah, oh, look, it probably it is a bit was was a bit tense at times uh, between Morton Bay and uh, Brisbane Strikers. Uh, the uh, Lyndon Farr got uh, Morton Bay on the board first, and they were going well, and then um, and then Ryan Palmer popped up to equalise in the 65th minute, and then uh, Nicholas Webb, who's they play a handful of games, came on and scored the winner in stoppage time. So. Um, like I said, it's almost exercising some demons uh, for strikers on that pitch. That was the where they lost the 2015 grand final and almost similar circumstances where a late winner sunk them. Obviously, you know, a round 17 match is nothing compared to a grand final. But And obviously, there are not many players. I think... Uh, I think the only sideline player may have been Coach Royce Brownlee in that. <laughs> Probably would have been. <laughs> from, from that. Uh, so... So, yeah, um, but yeah, look, I think the important three points for strikers. Um, Morton Bay, they'll be disappointed they sort of, you know, they, they dropped all three points. But uh, look, they've, they've um, been going well. So I think it was more important strikers getting the win. I think Morton Bay, they just have to sort of, you know, regroup and come again. But they do have a very tough assignment on uh, Wednesday night. We'll get to that in a moment. I'm sure the Brisbane Strikers fans are delighted that you've brought up that 2015 NPL Grand Final, given that there's a lot of they have a lot of issues with the way that came out. That's a story for another. Oh, we'll talk about that, that later on. That's the whole season. But, I think they yeah. have issues with. Yeah, but look, it was look. This was I've said before. Morton Bay side, which was just confused and annoying me at times. And this is another typical case. They played out pretty well at home. In fact, they just probably deserved to to get a point out of this. And they've just they threw it away once again at the last gasp. And this is just this is just what I think they need to. Try and not concede so many points in these sort of situations because this seems to happen to them more often than other teams. Yeah, it does. Um, but like I said, they, yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, again, they, they do have occasionally, you know, they, they are sort of, you know, light in defence, I think, you yeah. know, sort of lacking a bit of experience. Um, a lot of injuries, don't they? Lot, yeah, a lot of injuries um, for them. So I think it just that their composure at the back. No, no Alex Janowski uh, on... Uh, last night as well. So it's sort of uh, like a little bit of experience and all that. So look, it's no excuse. I'm sure Royce Brownlee would be pretty disappointed to you know, drop all three points. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, look, I think yeah, for them, like they've had a good run. Um, like I said, I think they just regroup and learn from it. I was before we move on from this game, there was another unfortunate injury. Often, it could have been a very serious injury to Brendan White in midway through the first half, going up to claim a corner at him and he's, it looked like he landed on his neck or or, in fact, his head, which and it looked really bad, didn't it? 
It did. Um, yeah, it was really sort of, you know, yeah, sort of shocking to see, you know, watch, watching sort of the stream. Um, look, thankfully, everything was okay. And look, also as well, you know, well done to the officials um, and all the players involved. I think, yeah, I think I think there was a protocol there where I think, you know, they seemed to observe it. They knew there was something serious. And in the end, yeah, it was a good result. You know, you end up playing... Yeah, you know, end up playing on after about a six or seven minute delay, but yeah, look, um, those things when talking about you know head and neck injuries and whatnot, um, yeah, all core, all care needs to be taken attention. So well done to all involved. I think there, you know, and thankfully that you know nothing serious came out of that. Unfortunately, the ground has had some pretty nasty incidents, you know, over the last you know a couple of months and. Um, and yeah, so it could be another one, but thankfully this was, it looked bad. Um, you want to go back into the stream if you're still that way inclined. Um, but uh, but yeah, look, at least at least he, um, Brendan White's okay. And that's, that's the main thing. Absolutely. It's great to see that he was okay and able to finish the game. And hopefully there's no lasting effects for Brendan White from that incident. We'll go through the table now. Adam Lyons, SC, maintained their top spot on goal difference Olympic FC. They're both tied on 37 points. Peninsula Power, they remain third. Gold Coast Knights with their win, they stay fourth. Brisbane Raw are still fifth. Morton Bay are sixth. Brisbane Strikers, they're up to seventh with their win. Alibar down to eighth. Gold Coast United, ninth. Sunshine Coast Wanderers jump up to tenth. Eastern Suburbs are in 11th. Brisbane City, 12th. And Redlands United remain at the bottom of the table. We'll go to that in a moment. And firstly, we'll do this semi-regularly over the uh, NPL Sunday show. The top goal scorers in the competition, Joe Duckworth, leading the way with 16 goals for Lions SC. Jason McQuarrie, 15 for Gold Coast Knights, and Daniel Leck, third for Olympic on 13. So that's quite a tight race to keep an eye on over the end of the season. But the more things change at the top, more things change, and it just stays the same at the top, doesn't it? It does, and I think this is where so those clubs where they've invested, you know, heavily into sort of their depth and in the side. I think they're, they're sort of really sort of coming to the fore. Um, yeah, how that how that's going to finish is anyone's guess, you know, from one to four. But yeah, look, I think the the big four clubs as we've seen for the last few years, I think they're back, and I think, yeah, I think it's pretty much set now. It's just a matter of who sells where, sort of who who finishes fifth, fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, sort of just behind. That that's going to be an interesting race. Um, look, we, we sort of were starting to write off Brisbane Roars. Hope so. I think you know maybe that they can they can sort of find something to you know keep on going. Um, they haven't got the, the they do have a very tough run. They've got to play pretty much all of the top four at some point in the run home. So so yeah, so they they'll they'll have um those sort of teams behind them. But uh, yeah, at the other end, um, Brisbane City are down in twelfth at the moment. That's that's because they were um, on the bye this week. So, but they've got a very, very important game uh, midweek as well, which is going to really sort of you know see where they're at. Because uh, Redlands, um, look, they 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 went down to Gold Coast Knights, but they didn't give up, um, which is the main thing. Like so, I think we all had them pegged to get absolutely walloped on Saturday night, but it, with three twos, probably a bit flattering. But they weren't that far off the pace. So um, I think Redlands are still capable of, you know, maybe picking up a few more points. So the couple of those teams around near the bottom, they shouldn't just keep it for granted that Redlands are just going to, you know, go away. Because I think they're going to fight for survival themselves. Absolutely. They most certainly will. At the bottom end of the table, wins for both Brisbane Strikers and Sunshine Coast Wanderers to move slightly further away from that position. They're massive for those two clubs, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, Bristol Strikers, especially, um, they're they're a club that you know that are normally pretty are normally successful. They've had sort of I think a tough sort of you know year, a disrupted year, um, and yeah. But at least yeah, you know, they can at least breathe a bit more, you know, 
bit more now that they're now um, three wins above the relegation zone. So I think they can start thinking about, okay, what's how far can they get up the ladder rather than looking behind them? Absolutely. We'll, move, we'll talk about those midweek rounds because you point out there is a full round of MPL Queensland to be played midweek. Eastern Suburbs against Brisbane City. Brisbane Strikers will host Brisbane Raw. Palabar versus Lions. Olympic v Morton Bay. And the two games which I think are the most important for the round at both ends of the table. We'll start with the first of those on Tuesday night. Peninsula Power v Gold Coast Knights, Adam. This is a it's a it's a, almost a must-win game this for Peninsula Power, isn't it? Just to to just remind everyone that they're still the a top side and also for their chances to finish top of the table. They've got two games in hand, so this is a massive result, massive fixture for them in that quest for that top spot. Look, they've always I think they've always had the one thing you say about Peninsula Power, they've had always had the margin of error as far as, you know, that they had games on hand on their three sort of, you know, you know, rivals at, at that part of the table, they they lose on um, on Tuesday night, and that margin error is gone. And like I said, and they like said against Gold Coast Knights as well, who will be themselves really sort of you know, chasing hard. They they would still have um, you know premiership ambitions themselves. So I think all four are still well and truly alive as far as the premiership goes. Um, forget about trying to even guess who's going to win the, you know, the grand final. Forget that. That's going to be, that's a two game season basically. But as far as the premiership goes, um, I, I think, I don't know if potential power can win the premiership, uh, sort of on Tuesday night, but they can certainly lose it if they, if they go down. Cause I, yeah, like I said, they, I think they're almost their premiership hopes go on the line Tuesday night. I think same with Gold Coast Knights as well to a point. I think uh, if they lose as well, I think they lose ground as well. So that, that's a huge game um, as, as with respect to the premiership on Tuesday night. It most certainly is also undersold Gold Coast Knights. They also have two games in hand on the teams above them. So it's a massive fixture for both teams. If either Peninsula or Gold Coast do happen to win the game, they will put themselves right back in the mix for that premiership race. The game at the bottom end of the table, Adam, this is also... Equally important, it's 13th place Redlands United hosting 10th place Sunshine Coast Wanderers. And, and there's a fair gap now between Sunshine Coast and Redlands, but if Redlands United are going to pull off the great escape once again this year, I think it has to start with this game here at home on Tuesday night. This, this is a game that they need to look at and think, we played pretty well away to Gold Coast, held them tight. Okay, we lost to, by the odd goal, but we played pretty well. And if we can continue that sort of level of performance, they can get a result for me. At Sunset Coast Wanderers, that needs to be their mindset, Adam. If they don't get a result, their margin for error for getting out of trouble once again is is diminished quite a lot for me. It's a big seven days for um, Redlands, plain and simple. They, this game against uh, Sunshine Coast Wanderers um, is huge for them. But also as well, then they play uh, East next week next weekend. Uh, if they don't pick up any points, it's... I would almost say it's over because I just cannot see them, you know, getting many points against you know, the likes of uh, Morton Bay, Strikers, Gold Coast United and uh, Raw Youth, who they've got in the rest of the run home. So if they're going to make a move, it's got to be now. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, on the flip side, for those two sides, for Sunshine Coast, uh, Wanderers and East, they drop points to Redlands. They're all of a sudden back in the sort of the, into the muck as far as the um, relegation race goes. So, But I think for Sunshine Coast as well, they would do, take some confidence. They beat Kapala Bar on Saturday night as well, which, you know, got given, given them some breathing room. So I don't think if they lose, it's not the end of the world for them. But I think, yeah, they're one sort of step closer back back to sort of being in that, in that uh, relegation fight. So it's definitely a bigger game for Redlands in that context of the table. We have seen in the past couple of years, you've thought they might be on the way down and they've found a way to get out of it. So they've got tremendous resilience and character down there at the Cleveland Showground. They're going to need all of that to progress up the table once again this year. We'll move on now, Adam, to 
the MPL women's results for this weekend. We'll go through the results now. Sunset Coast, Southwest Queensland Thunder, I beg your pardon, four. Football Queens and QAS, one. Mitchelton, three. Gold Coast United, five. Capalabar, four. South United, three. And the game this afternoon, which we just finished watching a little while ago, Adam, Eastern Suburbs, five. Gap, nil. And this was a tremendous performance from Eastern Suburbs, wasn't it? Yeah, look, uh, we we knew from the last time this was size that there might be a few goals, but I didn't think they'd come all from one one side and in the space of around about twenty minutes because, uh, yeah, that that five goal blitz from East was just um, was just sort of incredible. I think, um, yeah, in the gap, I think they were they were very disappointing. Um, if I if I have to be honest, uh, defensively they were poor. I think they gave up. Just, way too much ball in dangerous positions and look, East made them pay and I think that that's probably going to be some, the sum of it all. Like, um, the gap were better in the second half. They just couldn't find a way through. Um, East, I guess, when you're 5-0 up halftime, it's very, very hard to stay motivated and, you know, really sort of, you know, put the foot on the throat, as they say. But, um, yeah, no, all, all credit to East. Um, but I think, yeah, I think Gap's hopes as far as the top four, I think, you know, are pretty much gone mathematically and performances like that Look, I, I don't think they deserve to be there, to be, if I'm being frank about it. That seems to be pretty fair. They are five points behind fourth place. Logan, we'll talk about, talk about the table later on. But defensively, they just seemed really, really shaky, didn't they? Every time East got forward, you sensed they were going to create something. And particularly in the first half, they were ruthless at putting those chances away. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it comes down to, is that, um, you know, yeah, basically it was the clinical finishing from... Um, from East, a couple of you know, very, very nice goals. Uh, Georgina Amos' second goal, I think, was was very good. Uh, Rosie Sutton getting in there for the fifth goal. That, that was very well taken as well. In fact, I think Rosie Sutton should have probably had a hat-trick herself. There was a couple of great chances in the second half that she probably should have and should have put away but didn't. Um, but again, you know, second half, you're 5-0 up. You're not going to get them all. So, so yeah, look, um, look, I think East, I think it's, it's going to be tough for East to you know, make ground on... Um, on Logan and Kapalabar, but you know all they can do is show up. If they, and if they sort of play like that, you know, and the and the other two sides above them sort of you know, start getting sort of you know, the yips a bit. Um, yeah, look, you never know. But all they can do is just play what's in front of them. Yeah, like I said, with Gap, I think their chances are gone. Well, they've got Kapalabar and Logan at home, do we? So between now and the end of the season. So if they can produce on the field in those games, perhaps they can close the gap. It was, by the way, five nil, but for the East and suburbs over the gap. Two goals for Georgina Ramos, one for Tessa Andahar, Zoe Lambie and Rosie Sutton were the other goal scorers. And Georgina Ramos could have had a hat-trick in this game, and it was a fantastic penalty save from Coco Mastrovic. This is an eye heard that, and it was a really good diving save. Yeah, look, I think it's probably the one um, positive that actually came from this game. Is, uh, Coco Mastrovic, she she had a very good second half. Um I think, I think, yeah, like uh, young Ellie Chapel. I thought, you know, yes, uh, like, she made a couple of errors in the first half. Uh, a couple, a couple of those goals. I think she had no chance of stopping. I think, you know, in this league, I don't think any keeper was stopped what she faced. You know, in that in that blitz. So, um, yeah, I think it's one possible. They, they, they just need to, yeah, they just need to, you know, erase it, go again, and you know. I think, yeah, as I said, I think that's probably too many losses uh, for them to withstand in this, you know, in this. Uh, this sort of uh, season, I guess. Absolutely. Now, we mentioned Georgina Amos just before. Our colleague James was at Heath Park this afternoon calling the game for Football Queensland. He caught up with Georgina uh, Joined Amos by Georgina Amos, scorer of two goals in this massive 5-0 win for East. Welcome to the NPL Sunday Show. Thank you. It's good to be here. 5-0 win. Couldn't have gone much better for you guys. 
Um, I think it could have gone better. Harsh <laughs> critic, but yeah, obviously 5-0. It was good to start that half well and finish it with five goals. Obviously, the last time we played these guys, we were 4-0 up. Second half, they scored three goals. So lucky to get away with that win. So we just knew they were coming out fighting in the second half. And I'm assuming that got mentioned at halftime as well, that last matchup. Definitely. Uh, Michael made sure that we were getting a clean sheet. So um, we, that's something I really pushed for in the second half. And obviously, talk us through, uh, you had two fantastic finishes as well. Obviously, uh, improvisational, that's not really a word, but anyway, I'll run with it. The outside of the foot shot as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like it's just good crosses coming in, good deliveries. So, outside the foot shot, that was actually off my weaker foot. I, I've got a sore groin at the moment, so I had to actually not use my shoulder <laughs> leg. So, it was definitely improv. And obviously, like, the attacking group you guys have with Lambie and uh, Musket and everyone as well, it seems to be really clicking at the moment. How important is that coming into the chase for the finals now? Oh, very important. I think we almost need to win every single game. So, um, obviously, working up from the back, we've got some strong centre-backs pushing forward, um, but we're very front-heavy as well, so it really comes in handy. And I suppose final question as well. Next week, uh, you're away to southwest Queensland. Looking forward to that? Um, it'll be a tough one, always tough travelling there, so we just need to make sure we start strong again um, and hold, hold them out. So, Awesome. Well, congratulations on a massive win and uh, very well played. Thank you. So that was very happy Georgian Ramos after a big win for Eastern Suburbs there, and we always thank players and coaches for talking to us, along with James, for taking the time to conduct those interviews for us. We're not there in person. It's always appreciated. We'll go through the table now, and Lions are seen despite not playing this weekend. Their game against Wharton Bay was postponed to be played at a later date, they remain top of the table by three points over Gold Coast United. They're on 37, Gold Coast on 34. Kapalabar are third on 33 points, ahead of Logan, who had the bye this weekend. They're on 30 points, and you've got East and the Gap on 25 points, respectively. Souths are in seventh. Football Queens and QS are in eighth. Mitchelton ninth. Southwest Queensland Thunder in tenth. And Melton Bay United, they are at the bottom of the table. The scores in the NPL women so far this year, top of the Top of the goal-scoring charts is Laney Fryer with 18 goals for the gap. Second is sec, Equal second is Mariel Hecker and Stephanie Latham with 15, Adam. And the other thing we didn't mention when we were going through these results earlier is Deanna Thompson back at Gold Coast United after her, some issues she had in terms of getting over the border. Straight back in the side with a hat-trick. Yeah, look, um, very timely as well for Gold Coast United. They're, they're without Momo Hayashi at the moment. So for Deanna Thompson, not only come back... Um, but also to, to hit the ground running with a hat trick. I know she has been playing. She, the her reasons, reason why she's been out is because she's she was actually stuck outside the border bubble yeah. uh, with New South Wales, where that's obviously recently reopened. Um, so so yeah. So but she was playing in I think I think it's in like the Northern New South Wales League or something like that. So she she'd been ticking over with a number of other players as well, that we're in a similar situation, who are playing for Gold Coast United as well, we're, we're doing that. So, but for her to be back, get a hat-trick, you know, basically first game back in the MPLW, um, yeah, look, they, they need they need that at the moment with Hayashi out for a, sort of, for a few weeks still. In Gold Coast, they do have two games in hand to be played in the next couple of weeks. So for them, being three points behind Lions with two games in hand, you have to say they still do hold the cards to a certain extent in the premiership race of that competition, Adam. Although they do play in a couple of weeks' time at Lions Stadium. So perhaps it's not, but it's it's going to be really tight between those two sides, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think that might even that might even be sort of where this premiership is decided will be that that game against um Lions at Lions at Lions Stadium. I think that's uh because I think it's gonna be that close. I, I can't see both sides when they're playing their best 
I think they're almost um, against the rest of the league. I think they're almost unbeatable. And look, I say that, and they'll, they'll probably both get beaten next week. But um, but yeah, look, uh, I, I think yeah, that that's going to be where this this premiership's going to be won or lost. Uh, but at the moment, I still think um, with games in hand, I think Gold Coast United do hold um, sort of the advantage, if so, and they do have that win over them um, earlier in the season. It was certainly very interesting to see how that fixture plays out in a couple of weeks. It's a fascinating conclusion to the MPL W2020 regular season. Move on now to the FQPL. We'll start off with the big game of the week. Now, the game I think most people have been looking to in determining who would be the favourite to be promoted in Logan Lightning 3-1, 3-2 when it's beg your pardon, over Southwest Queensland Thunder at Canubia Park on Saturday afternoon. Goals for Obi Manenke, Liam Golding and Adam Edgar for the home side. Brody Welch and Pasquale DeVita for the visitors and it is. It does seem now that that while not assured promotion, it is in Logan's hands, isn't it, Adam? It is. Yeah, and that was how this game was built. That um, basically whoever won this game, if there was going to be a winner, basically will have promotion sort of in their own hands. And uh, look, it was actually a very, very um, entertaining game. I, I must say that we we don't see we haven't watched too much FQPL sort of live um, as far as uh, coverage for for. Um, the Brisbane Football Review. So to actually see these two sides go out of the top two sides, um, it was a very entertaining game. Um, and Logan sort of won out on the day. Uh, plenty of uh, plenty of sort of you know, feeling in this as well. So I think you know, come you know, come finals time, I think there'll be plenty to prove more than you know once the promotion has sort of been settled. I think, yeah, I think as far as the the um, FQPL final series go, I think you know, a rematch between those two clubs, I think it'll be very very anticipated. Want we'll to see if that happens. There's a couple of other teams in the bottom end of that top four in some really good form. But just looking ahead, they both do play Wynnum Wolves. They've been in fantastic form, Adam, over since the lockdown resumption. And they do play both Logan and Southwest Queensland Thunder before the end of the season. So perhaps there's more twists and turns to come here. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think there are a number of teams there are capable of uh, being being that sort of you know, spanner in the works as far as um, as far as you know, sort of you know, who gets there and it may be a case of who loses less or who can you know main you know sort of you know limit limit the damage sort of going going forwards more than sort of saying oh it's just gonna be a drag race to the to the uh, final round. Uh look you got Mitchelton as well also capable, uh Ipswich Knights and even Western Pride are also capable of, you know, you know, they, they, they do own wins over well Western Pride actually you know, win own wins over both um the top two. So Look, I think it's a case of while those two teams are, are probably far enough apart where it's going to come down to two, those two as far as promotion goes. Uh, beyond that, uh, and I think the lot, number of these other teams are going to have their say as far as not only shaping the pre- premiership race, but also as well come finals time. They most certainly will. Now, we'll go through some of the other results over the weekend. South United 4, Mitchelton 4 on Saturday night in a high-scoring clash. At Wakeley Park, Wynnum Wolves continue their fantastic run of form since lockdown, as I mentioned, Adam. 4-2 winners over Western Pride. And two games this afternoon, Ipswich Knights 2, Holland Park Hawks nil, And at the Parc de Paris, or Perry Park, whichever what they want to call it, Sunstone Coast 2 with a late winner over Southside Eagles 1. So, the, the, again, I mentioned before, the, the form of Wynnum Wolves is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? You can see the effect that the new coaching and technical director Matt Chandler has had since going there in the off-season. He's had a massive impact. I, I recall just after lockdown, Wynnum Wolves were down in about 10th. 
So the fact that they're now in fourth and more than likely will probably push into third at some point if they keep their form going, that's an amazing turnaround for them. So I think um, they will be one to watch. I think they may have that, that early season sort of, you know, sort of, you know, struggles may sort of come back, you know, to haunt him as far as, you know, in that sort of the, the promotion race. But look, yeah, you know, they, they've done really, really well to, to get into into fourth. Like I said, they could probably move into third, you know, next, you know, as of next week almost. So their form since lockdown would suggest they would be right down in the promotion race if they continued that form from the beginning of the season. So there's plenty to build upon there down in Wynnum. The, top of the table, as we mentioned, Logan Lightning, they are, on top of the table, they're two points clear of Southwest Queensland Thunder. Uh, Mitchelton remained third on 26 points. Wynnum, as you talk about, they're fourth on 25 points. Ipswich Knights move up to the to fifth place with 22 points ahead of Western Pride, equal points, but they've done it on goal difference. Rochelle are down in seventh on 21 points. You've got Sunstone Coast Fire on 15 points in eighth. Holland Park in ninth, South United in tenth, and South Eagles are rounding out the bottom of the table, Adam. So, Again, that, that that finals race in the FQPL is really he- heating up because there is now one, two, three, four, five teams within five points of each other there heading into the last four or five games of the season. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. It's it's a case of um, yeah. Look, even Rochdale, who's seen down seventh, and they've got games in hand as well, which is which is very important. So a lot of these, you know, when these games in hand get played, obviously the buy, you know, having the buy within that is going to sort of really sort of you know not give the clear picture of, you know, who's where. But, um, yeah, I think there's, there's going to be some big games coming up in FQPL as far as the finals go. But uh, as I said as I said before, um, the promotion race, I think it's down to two, but they've got to keep winning. I think it's certainly most just down to two, but you're right, they have to keep winning. Top three goal scorers in the FQPL, both Adam Edgar and Brody Welch of Logan and South Southampton Thunder, they're tied on 10 goals each. Third place, equal third, is Jed Brown from Logan and... Yuta Hirayama from Western Pride. So it's on nine goals. So it's certainly tight in that race, Adam. Now we'll move on to a bit of news, which came out during the week, and it was from Football Queensland. It was their strategic infrastructure plan. There's, they have a, a three-point plan they've introduced. The first of those is a home of women's football in Queensland and women's centre of excellence to be built down at Meekin Park, which is obviously where the headquarters of Football Queensland is currently. It looks like it's going to be a six-field facility, Adam, potentially with three synthetic and three grass fields. It's probably going to be a, it'll be a massive boost for the game in this state, Adam, because it's not as popular as the sport is in terms of participation. The facilities aren't necessarily there all across the board, are they? I think it's more the case of that there's no that there's very few facilities, you know, class facilities that is owned by the governing body. I think that's, that's very very important. Who are sort of tasked of administrating if nothing else, you know. Obviously, you know, junior development. Obviously, you got your, your state teams, you know, your your elite, you know, Queensland athletics sport, you know, affiliated sort of you know programs. And to have that in one centralised place rather than you know having them all over the place and whatnot. That's uh, it's yeah, it's a big investment, especially for from the women's side. Of the game, which um, obviously with the with the women's World Cup in uh, two years' time, it's sorry, three years' time, I should say. Um, geez, getting ahead of myself there. Honestly, that year flew quick. If it was only two years to go. No, oh, it feels like it, but uh, yeah, look, um, yeah, I think de- definitely, I think that's going to be a major boost. Um, FQ saying no, estimated nine point two million uh, cost, and that I think that would be an investment that I get, I definitely be well, well worth it. Well, certainly, particularly with the eyes on the Women's World Cup, we will need facilities nationwide in order for these teams to train and be housed the well they are here. So that's a massive, important facility. And 
it's something we didn't really see when you think of the last major sporting event in Australia and the Olympics 20 years ago. Football was one of the few sports which didn't necessarily get the infrastructure upgrades that everyone else did. So if we can capitalise on that nationwide now and get some really top facilities all over the place, but particularly here in Queensland, it would be a massive benefit. Well, it's actually funny you mentioned that because football did actually get infrastructure or the, the fact that the that um, it was actually built for football as far as you know, the Olympic football tournament in 2000. The problem is, is that it benefited every other sport other than um other than sort of then football. So I think it's correcting the wrongs as far as you know, having our own, you know, world-class events, you know, in three years' time. But at least then that the legacy of it uh, is something that, you know, that football alone will actually get out of. I think, you know, investment like this is certainly on that path of, of you know, of, of, you know ensuring that legacy beyond the you know, tw- you know, 2023 World Cup. Absolutely. And point two was regional high-performance centres, centres up there in both northern Queensland and also in the western part of Queensland. So that's obviously very important. But point, point three, Adam, more more interesting for us, I guess. We are not up in northern Queensland. We know it's very important that the facilities up there are of the highest standard so players up there can mm. grow and develop and enjoy the game. But point three down here in Brisbane, the boutique stadium mission. Now, this is something we've covered probably a thousand times on the Brisbane Football Review podcast over the last, last five years. So we'll keep it more brief here. The three venues that they've stated in this Football Queensland document where it could be potential venues for this stadium, Perry Park, the Sleeman Sports Centre and the Albion Park Racecourse. Now, I think if you look at it, Perry Park is obviously the home of football in Queensland. You'd imagine that's where the football football Queensland would probably prefer it to be. Do you think that's where it'll end up or will it be one of the other two? If, this is, of course, assuming it actually happens, of course. Yeah, let's put aside for a second, you know, 100 to $130 million uh, infrastructure investment. Um, we'll get that's back going... to the likelihood of it happening. Just which venue do you think would be the most important or most logical? Okay, well, we'll, go, we'll, put, the, um, we'll put the cart before the horse. Yeah, um, yeah look, I don't think it'll be Perry Park. I, I just think um, there's plenty of difficulties yeah. there as far as, you know, it, it is in an area which is, you know, which is residential. Uh, it, it would be very, very difficult to get a 15,000-seat stadium. Like, people said that it can be done. You know, look, you know, if they're architects or zone plans were over, you know, congratulations to them. But, uh, yeah, I think, in my mind, it'd be very, very difficult to put a major boutique stadium there. Uh, look, Albion Park is an interesting one. Uh, I think uh, that, yeah, a lot's going to happen, and I think that will be pending the sale of that Albion Park you know, facility as for, for racing Queensland and where they actually find suitable sort of venues sort of outside of the city. Um, and, all, and also as well, and whether the price is right as far as building a stadium on that sort of plot of land, but that's very centrally located. Um, look, in Sleeman, probably again, I think it's another one that uh, could potentially a little bit out of the way as far as, you know, go, but it's on a major sort of that, that Cleveland Road sort of track, you know, as far as, you know, public transport, rail, car, I think it's all there. So, look, any of those three could work. I just, I think for mine, it's the, it's the cost that's going to be the issue. And, you know, the, sort of the needs as far as, you know, actually getting that sort of money from um, out of a state government that apparently isn't going to be in a very, very lot of debt. We'll get to that shortly now. But yep. I do actually, if we were saying which one of these you think is the most likely, I actually think it would be Albion Park because I think that's the, it's a central location and the footprint is there for it. And the, again, if the if the demand and the desire is there from the from the government of the day, whenever this decision gets made to do so, I think that's the most logical. It is central located, as I said. It's near, pretty central to, um, local, to um, public transport. There's a lot of pubs and clubs around there, which is important for spectators on the day. Enjoy it. Absolutely. 
So I think that's the most like I think Slim and Sports and it would just be I think people would look we always know people complain if things are more than five minutes from their house, but I think people would say, particularly if they live in the western part of Brisbane or out towards the Ipswich area, saying, Is that really the best spot? So I think having it central I think is the most important. But to your point, which I know you're desperate to get onto about the cost and the, and how this can work, I think I think this as much as football and even other sports in this state could really benefit from a boutique venue. I think the only way it happens, Adam, is if these this Olympic Games, which you know is there, are out there for 2032, I believe it is that the South the Southeast Queensland are bidding for. I think if that gets up, this is a this is a genuine probability of happening. If that doesn't happen, you'd have to say, Adam, this is probably a nice thought and something that probably isn't likely to happen. Yeah, look, uh, I know, I know. This a lot of this uh, boutique stadium talk has been central to the A League and um, Brisbane Roar, especially. Look, if if it's something, and you'd imagine that they would be part of this as well. That uh, this is not football so. Queensland. Yeah, it's not football Queensland just going off on their own reservation and doing their own thing. And you know, Brisbane Roar have got other plans. You gotta believe that it's all part of one bid, or even it may not even be Brisbane Roar. It may be a future expansion team within. No, Queensland, you know, I know, obviously, let's take, you know, Brisbane Strikers, Brisbane City, you know, their bid or, or whoever else. So it may not, like I said, but there had to be an A-League prime. But I think it goes further than that as well. I think it may be, you may need uh, support of also, you know, maybe a number of other codes. I think, unfortunately, the whole, as much would be nice to have a football-only venue as far as the main playing stadia, um, yeah, you know, I don't think in, in Australia. I don't think that is. I don't think that's acceptable or you know or is you know, viable. I think you know, that's at the end of the day. Mind you, with football Queensland running it, you know, who knows? You're limited by your own imagination. But I think obviously, you administ- have your administration, you have training fields and whatnot. Have a complex. Then obviously, then you got. To just, I think it's just a case of they've got to prove the value for money for it if it's going to be all football and then also be open to allow tendencies from like say of uh, I don't know Queensland Reds you know you know whoever the second NRL team's going to be or you know whoever else or even like I said tendency of a Brisbane Raw and or you know a second national second division team or a you know another expansion A-League team so I think yeah, like I said you're limited by imagination but I think just going up and expecting $130 million for a precinct and a stadium uh, from the government, especially given the current economic standards, you're going to need more than just that. Yeah, I certainly think if you look at some of the stadiums in the state, Amy Park down in Melbourne to me is the classic case. It holds obviously two A-League teams. It's got the Melbourne Rebels in the Super Rugby and the Melbourne Storm in the NRL. So it's, that's the sort of thing we're going to be looking at here, Adam. I think to your point, a stadium up here, a boutique stadium of, I think they're looking at about 15,000. We would probably be looking at, obviously the A-League would be there. Football Queensland would hold finals games there. FFA Cup ties, which couldn't be held at a club's home ground because of lighting issues. These, they would be held at this this generic stadium, wherever it ends up being. You look at the QRL there, local competition, would probably play finals yeah. games and that sort of event here. Perhaps to your point, the Reds might play some of their smaller drawing games here instead of at Suncorp Stadium. So I think it's definitely going to have a lot of merit and use. It's just to your point, is it going to be financially viable in this climate without the Olympic bid getting up? Because if not, I don't see why, I don't see how they would actually be able to get it over the line as much as I would absolutely love to see it. Yeah, that, that's what it comes down to. I think, again, you need you need a, 
year reason for it and it needs to be at least that would at least cover off the legacy part of it you know what happens beyond you know 2032 where if they build it now you know you turn over for the olympics you know come come 2032 you know even even if the bid is unsuccessful at a you know, a global level, you know, as long as it, you know, you have a use for it, you know, if you're saying, because you just can't go, oh, let's wait until we get the Olympic, even though it's 2020, I think 2026, it might be that they would, that they'd actually award the um, ne- next lot of games for that. So you can't, I don't think the sport can wait that long. Yeah. So you got to hope that, you know, they've got plan B as far as going in saying, this is what we want it for. This is, this is what we intend to do. And look, who knows, you know, maybe with someone like a Robert Cavallucci who, who has, you know, who has lobbied, you know, to the government has got experience with that. And as well as being part of the, you know, of the state government here in Queensland in, in the past. So he might, he might be, you know, and a more united front of football Queensland with, Wisdom Raw and Toe, plus maybe a few other sporting organisations. You know, that might be a better front than rather than, you know, Football Queensland just, just hitting the hand out and saying, oh, we want, want a new stadium, please. Absolutely. It's certainly a great time to lobby for a new stadium, given that the state election is coming up in the next couple of months. Adam, we could talk about this for another hour, but we might just wrap it up there. Yep, not a problem. Absolutely. We'll talk to you all next week after another round of NPL Queensland. Get out and enjoy the games in person if you can. We'll talk to you later.